So I walked into a house at the same time as ambulance and a little baby had drowned in the bath and the, literally it just happened. So the ambulance were there to see if they could actually save the baby. It was that sort of fresh. But there were other little children in the house, none older than about seven. They were aware of the situation and they were coming to us saying, please don't let my baby brother die. Please save him. Here's his favourite teddy. Here's a photo of him. The baby died. So, you know, here we are meant to be police, meant to be able to save everyone and have a good outcome. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terence Toe, founder and managing director of Strategic Corporation. I'll be one of your hosts today, and we've got Nadia Hughes here. Good morning, Nadia. Good morning, Terence. Yes, it's Nadia, and I'm from Smart Business Solutions. And Nadia will be hosting as well. Yes. I guess you could call us co-hosts. Yeah, we are co-hosts. <laughs> and today we're joined Pippa Hansen, an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker. She spent 18 years in the police force, and then she switched over and founded a business called the Sports Injury Clinic. Yes, that's right. Which is going quite successfully now. So, good morning, Pippa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And today, we're going to just kind of run through a little bit about your experience in business. And maybe one of the things straight off that kind of interests me, you know, as soon as I know that you've been in the police force, and I think you mentioned that you switched, there was this kind of time switching between the police force and, and the business side of things. And I guess, to begin with, kind of interested in how that all worked for you. Yeah, it was interesting. My passion is definitely people. So policing definitely out there looking after people and protecting people and my business is healthcare and we have staff. So I love looking after staff and in healthcare, physio and allied health, we're obviously looking after the public. So the overarching switch was quite easy, I suppose, because it was all about still taking care of people. But the difficult part or challenging part that I really had to switch from pretty quickly was as a 20 year old handed a fair amount of power and authority overnight when I went into a private business I then had to learn that leadership was about trust and building relationships and that that power wasn't just automatic and it was interesting police force the people I deal with that I worked with were very black and white very the way you could speak to each other, the way you just worked in teams together. Whereas health professionals are very, very caring people, wear their hearts on their sleeve, almost that emotional type of people. So that was a real big learning lesson that for me. That would be a huge adjustment going from colorblind to the all full palette of colors, rainbow. And my question to you, the biggest, like, can you recollect the first challenge you faced when you, because what I assume would happen, you would give an order in your <laughs> usual way and suddenly over you will get a resentment or strange response. Was it happening? In business? Yes. It probably, yeah, it just took me a little bit to adjust. And I'm very good at analysing myself. I think I had worked in policing with some very poor leaders and some very good leaders, and I like continuous improvement. I thrive ongoing personal development, whether it's, you know, uni courses or attending seminars or, you know, I love that. So I take the best of everything I learn and I try and use that myself. And very quickly I just learned that I had to speak in a different way, a more gentle way. I had to send emails that, you know, how are you? 
this but is what you, we're you after. <laughs> That's where I want you to take that back. You learn it the hard way. You obviously done a few orders when it didn't go down well or because you said I, I had to learn. I was or- probably just aware. I can't isolate a particular incident, but I was probably aware of the reaction of how I was asking things to be done. I don't ever think I've been a, a forceful leader. I've never been a black or white my way or the highway leader. So it wasn't that much of a switch, but I suppose the power meant in terms of dealing with the public in a situation, probably not dealing with co-workers. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what I hear also is your success, you probably will attribute to also your ability to adapt. One, you take some arsenal from one line of work and bring it to another, but at the same time, adapting, adjusting, takes the best and put it into new environment. What are the best tools you brought from police force to business? Yeah, definitely ability to adjust and think quickly. You know, policing-wise, you would turn up to incidents, scenes, crime scenes, horrific incidents that you just had to be able to switch on, stay calm, communicate effectively and look after the situation. And I think learning those things and learning how to control your emotions at the time you know, I walked into some things that were horrific and at the time you're holding it all together but then I cried for three days because of how horrid it was and I think that, you know, you can use that experience and controlling your emotions in business. I'm still human. I love what I do but I know that some people look to me to be the leader and to make sure everything's okay and running well and make sure their lives are well. How are you adjusting? We think this would assume would be a horrific scenes you would walk into. Would it make you desensitized to less traumatic people where you're coming to the normal world, I suppose, not a world of crime, and people a little bit more softer and they more affected with lighter things? How did you find this adjustment to take people seriously with their problems after seeing horrors? I'm well aware that the world I've seen is not the world everyone else sees. And there were even parenting decisions that I made along the way that I know were effect- that were as a result of things I'd seen. So whose house my children could stay at, where they could go on their own. And there would be times when they'd say, I hate the fact that you're in the police force because they weren't allowed to stay at someone's house because we hadn't met the parents. Mm-hmm. Whereas those other children were allowed to stay at our house even though we'd never met the parents. Because you just cop, so it's okay for kids yeah. to stay. That's a very safe house. Yeah, so I've certainly seen things that do impact on how I behave. And I made a joke earlier today saying I've come into an environment today, I'm sussing out where I am, no one knows where I am. You know, I've walked in with the two of you But I'm always sussing out my environments and you don't lose that. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. So my question is, when you're going through this, adapting your work environment now in you in a business, you first think what really, really shocked you in softer environment, let's put it this way, because you had to make it work. You have to make it commercial. And did you have these regrets of leaving police force or not? Not regrets. What I miss is the thrill of the chase and not knowing what's going to happen every day when you turn up. But what I love is the opportunity to empower other people and actually make a difference in other people's lives in a different way. So how do you empower people? What do you do? 
help them with ongoing formal education, but also help them with personal development. And I think a lot of things that I have experienced in the police force, as you said before, their issues or their problems are nothing really. They just need the guidance, encouragement, support to be a better version of themselves and have someone believe in them. Mm-hmm. And you also said that what you did bring is the best tool you have brought from police force. It's your ability to stay calm and collected. Do you have any particular technique? Because in a business and me being in a business, I know there are so many situations where it's so stressful. I have sometimes a sweat pouring out of my palms when I get, I tell you, typical would be happening, ATO would call and they would just simply bluff that client done some horrific things or not in the line of law or something that it's quite often happens to self-managed super funds and things like that. You could have got because they telling something, they putting you in position to defend the client when you're not ready yet, you haven't looked into details and everything and you have this reaction. I also can relate to this. You have to stay calm. Sometimes I put the phone down and I have to go on the street to go for a quick walk to put my head in a calmer space yeah. and then come back and start going through the evidence on file. Everything is fine and present it to auditors. How do you find this place of calm? I'm not reactive anyway. And I think that's definitely a, a skill I learned in policing. You can't be reactive. You have to turn up. Mm-hmm. to a scene and you have to be analysing everything that you see and you hear and smell and I'm like that in the workplace. So other people's emotions don't upset me. It's a, something that has a problem that can be solved. So I basically look at everything like a problem that has a solution. It just does not eat at me at all when I look at it that way. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go a little bit deeper on that because you say, you know, you're not reactive but there's got to be more than just making the decision not to be reactive because just making the decision not to be reactive, you know, it's got to go a little bit deeper than that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And you can start with something as simple as a complaint and whether that's a staff member complaining about something or a client complaining about something, it is their perception of what they've seen. So what's the other side of that? So there's no point reacting. It's about getting all the information like a mini investigation, like you have just said that you do, Nadia, and looking at both sides and putting them together. And you know what, sometimes the way the situation is that two people have actually seen it completely different. You know, witnesses are not always accurate in what they've seen under stress and pressure. And when other people are facing emotional challenges, the way they perceive a situation can be, they can both actually be right. It's for me to then problem solve that and and make both sides happy or make one person happy and, and resolve the the issue that got them into that state, whether they're the staff member or the client. Sure. What I would take out of that is it kind of comes down a lot to empathy. And maybe, you know, you're seeing something from maybe someone else's point of view as well. And in the case where you're helping two people to resolve something, that you're helping them to see each other's point of view. Is that kind of right? Yeah. And I don't think they'll always see each other's point of view sometimes. So it's just trying to explain how a situation happened and say, yeah, this side and your side and the other side, but, and I can understand why you both perceived it differently. How can we do it differently next time? Or how can we make sure that you don't feel this way next time? And I think it is people not always able to control their own emotions. What I hear, I'm actually on contrary to Terence, I hear different thing. I hear that the quicker you will get out of emotional turmoil and go to the very rational factual gathering, the better you will be able to handle the situation. 
However, understanding wh- where you're going uh, is later on because I know the points you identify. This is, comes from police training. You do have to be disconnected from your emotions while you're in line of work. What also happens to police? They burn out. They have post-traumatic disorders. And this is why you cried for three days after these things. It's just because you had to put aside emotions. Modern business model, they actually asking you to connect emotions with rational side. And when you deal with people, be this emotionally intelligent person. So what you had to do is, sorry if I'm putting words in your mouth, but what you had to do, you had to connect those to back, reconnect them. While in line of police, you had to completely be separate, almost having a splitting personality disorder, people who can feel and people who can process and rationalize. Yeah, they're definitely, they're, I'll tell you the, the um, scene I was talking about. So I walked into a house at the same time as ambulance and a little baby had drowned in the bath and the, literally it just happened. So the ambulance were there to see if they could actually save the baby. It was that sort of fresh But there are other little children in the house, none older than about seven. They were aware of the situation and they were coming to us saying, please don't let my baby brother die. Please save him. Here's his favourite teddy. Here's a photo of him. The baby died. So, you know, here we are meant to be policemen to be able to save everyone and have a good outcome. The time you're in control and the situation is you can't show your emotions. You've got to be the one that is looking after. But a day later, the impact of that at that point in time because it's so close it's not really considered as post-traumatic stress in the true sense it's that the emotion was allowed to come out a day later two days later in the right environment you know at home with family with friends yeah but and it's not suppressed it's dealt with and you can move on and i completely agree with the workplace that you can't be seen as a robot and that was probably challenging for me because i don't like showing my emotions externally because I do like to feel like I'm this I'm the one there for everyone I'm the one that if they're having a bad day if they're you know having marriage problems death in their families sick parents sick children that they can come to me and talk to me and it can be difficult sometimes to show that you're still human because it's not natural (laughs) for me to want to cry in front of people or Yeah, so it is. Funny enough, they've done studies and they say that people, especially women, why they're successful in business, because sometimes they do show emotions and sometimes they do cry. And women who are capable of crying in front of other people are more successful than the ones who control themselves. It came as a surprise. And this is exactly the thing is I was wondering, it was a challenge for you. Yeah. It was, yeah. and you are still learning, and the, hence you did put a lot of accent onto emotional intelligence mm. part of you, and you did say that your business will grow. It's in a preliminary discussion that it's all about growing yourself personally. So I assume you, Pippa Hansen, was growing your emotional intelligence and ability to connect to people through acknowledging your own emotions, even though it's hard for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think I've led a very vanilla life. Like, you know, the things How can that... Hope we lead vanilla <laughs> life? I'm sorry, what, what well, are we talking about? I mean that I grew up in a happy household. I have parents that are still ah, married. Okay. I have grandparents until recently, death around me. So in terms of having to really express negative mm-hmm. or what would be perceived as negative emotions and yeah, I cry when I watch a movie, you know, or a sad ad comes on telly, that's fine. But it, I haven't had this turmoil life. It has been 
something I've watched in policing, not what I've had to experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely have had to let myself be a bit more human in front of people and not try and be this solid rock. (laughs) As far as your personal development, when you start running your business, am I allowed to ask your big support and, but also your, the sad story was about your partnership. Yes. This is Michelle. It was a obviously very public story and you have shared with insights what it's like to have a very supportive partner initially and being so sick for so long. If you don't mind, again, I'm asking permission, you don't have to, but if you don't mind, tell us about having a business partner, what it's like. Now you don't have a business partner and before, with and after, what it's like. So... Having a business partner was fantastic. It was a fairy tale meeting. We weren't long-time friends. My husband did Ironman training with her and it was over a swim one day when they had a discussion and a month later we bought a property and were developing it. We had different roles, so we didn't step on each other's toes, so to speak. We just trusted each other. I certainly wasn't a physio. She you know, run a business because she'd because <laughs> she'd give everyone the day off <laughs> without, or she'd give everything away. Like she just had beautiful qualities of not that suited running a business. <laughs> so it worked really well, and we talked or worked side by side every day. So mm-hmm. one of my children was three when we started the business. The other two were born after the business. She was well and truly part of the family, mm-hmm. and being able to run ideas or suggestions, bounce off each other was fantastic and jumping ahead I really miss that and if I needed to lean on her or she needed to lean on me outside of family that was probably the only person that I would lean on so it's been a huge loss and I have noticed that particularly in the last well it's been it's just gone 18 months there are times that come up that I go to pick up the phone or I go to type an email or because she was the one I could bounce things off and lean on when I was struggling. And when I say struggling, you know, people, staff live lives, you know, they're part of life, they have their own things going on every day and and sometimes you can't fix what they're going through so it does impact because you're trying to do the right thing and give them the best support you can so I could lean on her. So I well and truly miss not having her and we had a good business partnership so, you know, you hear business partnerships that break down because people argue and things. It was a great partnership. And what it was like to keep it all together while going through basically her being so not well? It was a struggle and I definitely hid my emotions from the team. I would pull up at the front sometimes, sit in the car and cry and then pull myself together to go inside and be the strong one because I felt that they were also feeling one loss and sad, particularly those we've got quite a few people that have worked for us for over 10 years. So they've been there since the start. And so they were feeling the sadness and, but also I was worried for people's vulnerability of, did they think they were still going to have a job? You know, what was the business going to look like down the track? And so there was very much no real emotion shown over that four-year period and the day of the funeral I absolutely was a a mess I people at work had never ever seen me family had never seen me like that I cried the whole funeral I cried for hours it was the build-up of the 
four years and it was horrid. I hated it because I was not in control. But I know it was healthy. I know it was, you know, it was almost like, okay, you've held it together, a bit like policing. You've, you've held it together when you needed to, but now it's the appropriate time. But I was, I hated it. I did, really didn't like showing that, but I just had no control over it. And through these four years, what did you learn about yourself? Because you, like you said, you had pretty Manila life and suddenly over you have, have to challenge, have to be facing an extraordinary situation. I wouldn't call it something light. I've lost two grandparents, but I was young when they died and you sort of expect elderly people to die. So although you get upset when you lose grandparents, this was the closest person to me that I've ever lost. It was trauma and grief that I've probably watched other people go through being the, in policing and, and had to help with situations where, you know, there's been car accidents and people have died or there's been suicides and and I've had to go and deliver death messages and I've seen the other side of it. I'd never experienced it and certainly I've probably now look at life a bit more preciously. As a family, we live our lives a bit different, a bit more in the moment and a bit more grateful for what we have well i see you down the beach box with yeah. your stuff <laughs> and it tells me a lot about what kind of relationship you guys have in your team it's really nice so you are a family and stuff not for you just somebody you turn up to work to and what my next question unless Terence wants to interrupt our discussion the question i've got out of that how has that affected the way that you're maybe your approach to the business and your approach to your life like you know how specifically what have you really changed as a result of that experience i have always been very very driven so i put my mind to something and it will always succeed it's just i went through school very easily played sport very easily so i've always just gone okay i'm going to do this and it will be successful and you just keep chasing things like that, keep chasing success, I suppose. And the real change has been enjoying more of life, still the thrill of chasing success, which in whatever that looks like. It doesn't always have to be about money, but definitely slowing down a bit more in life. And What does success look like to you? Success for me is the balance of business and life. So I have that, I'm involved with my children and that's probably something I couldn't have had full-time in the police force so I'm you know team manager for football and I'm involved in the netball and whatever else I can be involved in the kids lives that is my success having the business providing for the amazing team we have trying to provide for them what I want in life so some of our staff now do have children and want to be there for various school holidays or assemblies or Father's Day breakfasts. They're the things I want and what I think is success when you can actually balance both of those mm. parts of your life. This is really interesting for me because I've spent the last probably five years really discovering what success meant to me. And you mentioned that kind of success doesn't have to be money. And for a long time, success to me just meant money, mm. right? And then I kind of I got enough money to consider myself successful in what I was doing. I'd sold a business and, you know, I, was, I kind of didn't really have to do a lot for a while. And then I realized that wasn't success at all. And so 
Actually, the realization that I came to was success for me, and it's part of my, the way that I try to help my clients these days. At the center of everything that we do is trying to build a business that generates more freedom. And so I went from money to freedom. And that's kind of similar. I mean, when you say that balancing that life mm. and business, does that kind of relate to freedom for you? Yeah, definitely. It doesn't mean that I sit around. I don't have a lot of spare time, but that's me. If I get a gap, I fill it with something else. You know, I love hobbies. I love family time, catching up with friends. I think when you're on this roller coaster of just trying to chase financial success, a lot of those other things of what you pass life by. We end up getting to 60 when we should be retiring and we haven't actually enjoyed life or lived life. These are the years when we're at, at our best health, most of us and active and able to move and able to have that freedom we need to enjoy it now not when we're 60 or 70 and then have to face different challenges of life i don't know whether it's not really a quote but someone and i can't remember who told me recently but apparently seth godin somebody saw seth godin you know sitting there with his laptop and went up to him and said you know that i feel sorry for you that you have to take your laptop on a holiday and he turned around and said I feel sorry for you that you have to go on holidays <laughs> because that's yeah. his life. Yeah. You know, his life is just sitting on a laptop, you know, being where he wants to be, yeah. doing the stuff that he actually wants to do. Yeah. And I'd agree with that because we definitely take our laptops on holidays and stuff because I love what I do. Yeah. I absolutely love going to work every day. You know, it's what gets me up in the morning. I love it. And when I travel or have time off or I'm still working, but it's my balance and it works for me and, Going back to the kids, I think the big thing for me with them is if I'm not in their lives now, then when I'm ready to have them in my life, they won't be ready. They won't want me because I've never been in their lives to start with. So that's why this this has been happening the pattern for generations. And now that's where this phenomena comes. Our grandchildren are precious yes. because we missed out on children. Let's just embrace grandchildren and spoil them rotten, which doesn't work for our children anyway. This is where it's coming. And now it seems I'm glad to hearing it from so many other business owners, the same concept of reconnection with your next generation, not with generation after next. It's really nice and refreshing because this is where all our problems and things started i had a lot of also a mindset coaching myself and growing and one thing i learned that all our problems and everything stems from childhood the traumas were done to us by our actual parents and the lack of time or disregard for our emotions led us to live this dysfunctional adult lives and now this has been addressed for the first time and it's a lot of in publicity so we're raising very soft children look how we were raised that's not a good answer our children now more conscious they are better people than we are i believe in it just because we giving them what we missed out on and that's, I think it's a very positive change in the humankind. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. And when I went recently to trip to developing country, I would consider that Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, you see they disengage their children, they're working, grandparents looking after them. So we went, Australia being a first world country, very lucky to be in this new spin of the world. And it's a privilege, I consider. What I would like to ask you now, you uh, told us that you cannot speak. What was the most successful speech so far you have delivered? I actually did one at a a company that's an international company and they have the majority of men 
in their workplace. So they have a division that they call Women in the Workplace and it's to try and, you know, connect the women and make them not feel so isolated. It's a technology company, so the majority are men that work there. And I was asked to come in and speak about working in a male-dominated workplace because in the police force it was mainly male and particularly when I went into the detective's office, there was only a couple of us in the office to start with. So that was what it was on. It had slides and I was ready and I was prepared. And then everyone sat down and I was at the front and there was men in the room. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to. What it was, was they were a minority because they were from different countries. So they weren't white males. So they were actually in the room as part of working as the minority group. The outcome was fantastic because I get really annoyed when whether it's women, whether it's minority groups, try and blame. There are times when it's well and truly justified, don't get me wrong, but when they try and blame being a woman for an outcome or they try and blame being a, you know, sometimes it's just the way that you react to a situation. It's nothing to do with you're male or female. And the outcome of that day was fantastic. The women and the men at the end of the day came and said, I need to look at myself and how I react and how I behave and how I respond and not take everything as a personal attack. So basically you were telling them, toughen up. (laughs) I was being very nice about it. (laughs) Well, but just go to the core of it and stop using the fact that you're female or minority or something like that. Because there is a phenomenon that exists now. It's reversed uh, racism as well. When minority now try to dictate to majority what to do because of using the fact that they're minority, or, for example, red-headed people never took offense of being called redheads, rainers, and all this stuff, but try to call black, black, that's it. So just hell to pay. So this type of thing is happening. I can talk about any minority because I'm a minority. Neither Hughes. Yes. It's just very strange that it's very Russian last name. What I like about this, because we are so politically correct that it's we disabled ourselves from doing a lot of things. We can't talk anymore straight. We just have to be so careful not mm. to step on anybody. It's disability words are now prohibited. Any reference to color of the skin or something can evoke outrage. It's just become really, really mm. hard to breathe for me. Even the nursery rhymes are changing at the schools. Yeah, mm. well, the, don't start me on Christmas tree. <laughs> so what tools would you give someone to deal with that? It's having a, a ex, being able to look at yourself externally. And internally, I think, is about your emotions and how you control the situation. But being able to look at yourself from an external perspective and just look at a situation. Don't immediately assume that something has happened because of male, female, minority group. Look at the situation and deal with the situation. But it feels so easy to fall into this. Well, it's happening because I'm female. They talk to me this way because of this. It's it's ability not to take responsibility because you have an excuse. That's what I think. It's an opportunistic. Yeah, it can be used, but it also can be quite debilitating. So people aren't always trying to get out of a situation, but they or use it as an excuse not to do something. But it stops them growing as a person as well if they feel that they are being held down because they're female or because they're... There's a great book called Lean In and it talks about women at a boardroom table, there's not enough seats, so the women are the ones that sit back and the men will actually just take the seats no matter what. Or you're applying for a job 
Uh, you see the key criteria. There's 10 points on it. A woman says, oh, I've only got nine out of 10. I won't apply. A man says, I've got one of those. I'll give it a go. And I think, you know, women and other minority groups sometimes can actually self-stifle their personal growth by assuming that that will stop them. Where does it come from? Why women and why a minority this way? What has been bred in them? What is different? Why men think with one point is okay to turn up and women with nine points will feel hesitant? We as women just more self-critical and don't have the confidence that but men have. Why are we this way? What happened to us? Well, it probably has come from the fact that women used to stay at home and weren't educated and raised the children and men have been the ones to provide and go to work and be educated. So basically we had this archaic way of thinking still embedded in us, but times change. It's all different now. Men actually expect women to earn money now mm. and nobody of us expected to stay home, look after children. They men quite actively involved. I was very fortunate. My kids were born and my husband at the time was really involved with the babies and everything. So. I never felt this way that I'm as a woman are held back in society because you move on, you adjust, and some people have chosen or is there something else um, there? I think there's probably a combination because you get, or whether you're male or female, you get people that just don't have as much confidence. So is that their environment that uh, we talked before about you learn things as a child? Is that parents not providing enough positivity or some people are just born that way, nature, nurture? Hmm. And you're helping those people. In If you see this type of traits in your stuff, you're having... Oh, that's what I absolutely love, thrive on, yeah. Mm. I guess I can kind of, and it's not a minority group by any, chance, by any stretch, but I've got a teenage daughter and I think that she sometimes feels like she's in a minority group, right? It feels like she's getting, you know, at home, if I ask her to do something, she would get to the point where she'd say, oh, you know, you're picking on me type of thing because you've asked me to do that. And, you know, she was just taking things the wrong way. So I gave her a couple of tools to deal with it. The first one, and I'm pretty sure I heard this from Tony Robbins, is just be grateful. So the first thing that I made her do is that when she, you know, when something would happen, she'd be upset about, she'd be saying, well, you know, this person doesn't like me or you don't like me because you're telling me to do stuff, whatever the case is, uh, be grateful. Think of three things that you can be grateful for today. And, you know, and I found that that actually started to shift her mindset. And I think Tony Robbins says that you can't be, I think, angry when you're grateful. Okay. So it, it got rid of the anger side of things. And the other thing that I said to her is own it because you know, and I don't know if this directly relates to minority groups, that's for sure. But if something's happening, at least own the fact that you've got something to do with it. You know, you are part of the situation no matter what. So I guess there are probably two really, you know, really simple tools mm. that I kind of gave her and it's really helping her. I guess she's new to the teenage thing and, you know, I'm new to the teenage daughter thing. I've had teenage sons who are now no longer a teenager. He managed to get through. But, you know, so this process is kind of new to us. But that there are a couple of really simple tools. And I think anyone can use those because they're things that I use myself, you know, daily. If I get angry about stuff, I go to the, you know, hey, what can I actually be grateful for? And it just changes your whole perception of the situation. My uh, children get a little bit annoyed when I tell them, to stop letting other people's behaviours and attitudes upset, make, upset their lives. 
So if they start complaining, they just get, they know, <laughs> they, they almost start repeating it as I'm about to say, don't learn other people's, you know, behaviors. I recently learned from my friend, she's in police force, as we have spoken before. We had this discussion about children. Children do tend to pay attention to other people's opinion. And she said, uh, there is a phrase you can, you always should be using with them. And I said, what is this? She basically said to me, she uses it a lot as well. And it helps her big deal. Your opinion about me is really none of my business. <laughs> and that's it. And she said, and stop. Silence is actually very paralyzing. Nobody can deal with it. So she taught me to draw the pause as well after that. And it was really dramatic effect on other people. And I just think I have to enforce it a bit more. Yeah. It's not the buy-in, is it? It's just not buying into that you can't you're right you can't be angry and happy at the same time you've it's whatever one you're focusing on, on at the time and sometimes it's okay to focus on anger and you need to just deal with it and get rid of it but if you continue to focus on anger like continue to focus on being sad that's what we'll maintain hmm. well it we had a story it's wolves there are two wolves i think it's one of the monks telling it and one wolf called and guy and another wolf called hydnas and they are two puppies wolves which one we will feed will grow mm. that's basically simple i think that's actually there's some science behind that now in terms of the, feeding the, puppies in terms of the mind if you feed positivity your mind attracts what well, you tend to attract more positivity if you're consistently feeding negative thoughts and emotions that's what you generate that's what mm. you create for yourself oh, so. the, i think they went to the great extent of breaking it up to metaphysical level and showing even how it attracts certain crystal shape and everything they showed it on water in japan and the metaphysics here they're showing it on the way the certain particles in physical world start lining up in this direction and they were able to this draw now science go all into esoterics what used to be a science for hip is now it becomes part of our business world reality. We have to understand it and acknowledge how it works. Mm. I think you're also talking about emotional flexibility and inflexibility, and that can really control how people behave, respond, act. Exactly. We come to the point of when we started, it's your adaptability was part of your mm. key success points. And Another thing, when I was doing mindset coach, I was doing it with Nick Hughes. Yeah. We are not related <laughs> yet. In sense, she's very strong coach, and that's my relationship to her. What I did like about it, she was very strong and she was boot camp style. One thing I straight away learned about it, she said, only flexible mind will expand. Yeah. To expand and grow as a business owner and grow as a person, you have to be flexible. And she taught me, So you come with something because people believe they have these incrustinated beliefs and everything. They call it principles. But if you can't shift your principle to 180 degrees and assume that it's also can be correct, mm. you won't be able to move on shift from there. No. It was the most invaluable thing I learned from here. I just, I really treasure this yeah. lesson. Yeah. All right. I guess we've gone through a bit of stuff here. I'm kind of interested in you know, what's the, maybe the most valuable thing that you've learned through your journey, you know, going through the police force, then going through a business startup, then losing your partner in that business. And now trying to, you know, I guess trying to, it sounds like you're getting a much better idea of what success means to you. So what's the most valuable thing you kind of learned that you can share with our listener that would maybe help to give them an unfair advantage? 
I think always being true to who you are and your morals and values because they can be challenged in any environment, work environment, sports environment, family and friends environment. But if you're true to your morals, values, beliefs and spend time growing yourself mentally as a person, so the emotional intelligence, the emotional flexibility, that is the unfair advantage. Mm. I like that. Yes. I built my own quote, which is similar to that, I think. What is your quote? Come what on. is my quote? It's your uh, chance. Be authentic about who you are or risk becoming someone else. Mm. <laughs> and you can't be a fraud forever. No, exactly. So. Exactly right. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. How can our listener connect with you? So I can be reached at the Sports Injury Clinic or pippahanson.com.au. And that's spelled P-I-P-P-A-H-A-N-S-O-N.com.au. Yeah. Great. All right. Thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.